You haven't signed up for Connect? Are you nuts? You're missing out. You're really missing out. Click the button, pack your bags, call your account manager, grab your boots, and I'll see you this June in Nashville. What does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft, the Director of Education at Pioneer Rx. And on so many episodes of, well, really any pharmacy podcast, you hear so many interesting solutions for pharmacies that are really struggling with one or two of the base uh, base issues that are, are really root causes for many of the financial struggles at independent pharmacies today. And of course, you know, if you look at DIR fees, if you look at low reimbursements, really most of the, um, you know, exciting things that pharmacies are doing are kind of blooming out of the necessity to stay uh, stay above water in those really uh, turbulent waters that uh, uh, that that's created. So, um, how can pharmacies really dive in and address those root causes of low reimbursements of DIR fees of those things that are really so much bigger than your building? Um, so, really excited to dive into some of that today with Brandon Cooper of Sue's Pharmacy in Arkansas. Uh, also, not just of Sue's Pharmacy, but of the Arkansas Pharmacy Association of the CPESN group for Arkansas. So very active member in the pharmacy space uh, in Arkansas. So thanks so much for joining us here. Thanks, Will. Happy to be here. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about um, – Sue's Pharmacy and kind of where you're at uh, on on the pharmacy side before we dive into uh, some of those bigger bigger roles. Well, Sue's Pharmacy has been here for over 50 years. I know we celebrated our 50th anniversary. It seems like yesterday, but that was probably about 10 years ago. So we've been in in the Jonesboro community for for you know going on 60 years now. And uh, I actually started working here when I was in high school. So I started my senior year in high school doing deliveries and started as a pharmacy technician. So went away to pharmacy school and, and gradually found my way back here as a pharmacist. So uh, we kind of have been at the cutting edge, I feel like, in, in Jonesboro and getting immunization started. I know we've always been politically active and kind of working in the advocacy side of things. So uh, Suze is, is a, a pretty strong, vibrant part of this community, and we hope that continues on into the future. Yeah, I love that. I love that um, that long, you know, local connection to the pharmacy, uh, but also, you know, the extremely uh, forward thinking and, and proactive, uh, you know, mindset within that pharmacy to make sure that the next generation is able to work there in high school and uh, hopefully come back as a pharmacist years later. So really exciting. So um, you guys do an awful lot at Sue's Pharmacy. Um, I was looking at the website. I found uh, uh, numerous uh, articles uh, from local news stations, uh, from uh, pharmacy publications, where you talked about you know various things um, uh, at your pharmacy. One of those being uh, uh, vaccines. 
So tell me a little bit about the vaccines, uh, I guess, pre and post COVID. Uh, it almost seems like it's um, everything has to be kind of looked at through that lens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, we actually started a number of years ago, you know, started giving flu shots when that became more prevalent in Arkansas. You know, pharmacists were given the ability to to give vaccines. And uh, since that time, you know, it's, it's just increased within the state. Everybody noticed that, you know, once they put pharmacies in, in kind of in their own little realm there of giving immunizations and vaccines, they just really took off. So we got, you know, a lot more people vaccinated through the years. And then uh, we actually started then uh, going into travel vaccines because we're located here next to a major university. And there are a lot of churches here in town that go on mission trips. So we kind of saw that as a niche area and, and decided to start doing that. So we were one of the few pharmacies in the area that were giving the yellow fever vaccine. And then kind of grew from there. We had a few outbreaks of hepatitis A uh, around the area that uh, kind of boosted that. So people started noticing us a little more. And so we've given those. And then, of course, like you said, when COVID hit, then we were, you know, right there ready to start giving those when that started. So that's that's only increased. And now as people started traveling again, then we've seen that uh, the travel vaccines kick up. And, and we do a lot of off-site clinics. We go to some of the local community uh, centers and uh, a lot of uh, factories and, and industries in the area that we go offsite and do clinics, not only just for flu and pneumonia, but we've also done the HEPA clinics as well as, you know, giving the COVID shots when those became available. So that's something we hope to continue into the future. And I think that's kind of spread nationwide now to where it's, you know, most people years past didn't really think of pharmacy is the place to go for for vaccines. But now I think that's kind of at the forefront of everybody's minds because we really took hold of that uh, that uh, opportunity that we were given and just really ran with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's that's one of the things that we saw, you know, a lot of during COVID and, and, and the months you know, kind of after the pandemic started to, to wind down is that uh, – independent pharmacies were able to answer that local need with uh, COVID vaccinations. So when the next need arises for those patients, you know, the, the name on the, uh, on the mind, hopefully is that local pharmacy that, that was able to uh, come in that time in need. So have you seen kind of a, a shift in, in your business where that goodwill is transferring over to those uh, other product categories? Yeah, we have seen that. In fact, we, you know, we picked up a lot of business, you know, some of the the chain pharmacies around town, you know, people kind of found their way here and then they decided, hey, you know, maybe if that was the first time they'd ever been in this pharmacy or even knew that we were here, especially those that live, you know, in other parts of the of town. And, and we kind of became their new go to spot. And so they're like, well, you did such a good job, you know, with helping our, get our family vaccinated. For COVID and, and helping us through that situation, we kind of like to start using you guys for uh, to fill all of our prescriptions. So, yeah, it was it was really a good marketing tool, you know, that that kind of came out of all that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, so many people, I think, just don't even, um, you know, even look for that independent option. Sometimes, I mean, if you're somebody that's not on, uh, you know, dealing with chronic disease states, if you're not going to the pharmacy often, you have, you know, something from your dentist, you maybe just go to that big box store because, you know, it's uh, it's the one you've seen on TV. So that exposure is, is so, so important. So if, you know, you want to look for silver linings, that seems to be one uh, <laughs> coming out of uh, COVID-19. 
Um, so I see those uh, those boxes on the shelf behind you that are much more prevalent now uh, than before uh, the the pandemic. Uh, but I think that's that's another niche that's really it makes so much sense for independent pharmacy to kind of take that um, that that heavy lift off of the local healthcare system and just kind of perform some of those point of care tests there at the pharmacy level. Yeah, that that's another avenue that we're you know that we're going towards is is the new point of care testing you know we've with covid you know a lot of pharmacies were kind of pushed in to start doing that to to kind of fill that void and that need where people couldn't get their you know their their tests done in in the right amount of time that was good for them and so you know they kind of geared towards the pharmacies around and so that's something we've started doing and then in in arkansas we've made a big push to start doing more uh not only you know testing programs, but the test to treat program. So I know that's something our legislature mm. has kind of started to, to push in the state. And so hopefully that'll all be finalized this year and we can start, you know, moving towards having those, uh, you know, get your strep and flu tests and everything. And then you'd be able to have a one-stop shop and then receive your treatment right there as well. Yeah, for sure. What's what's the current process in Arkansas? So if you do, if you are offering, you know, a strep test or a um, you know, flu test, what's the current protocol? Do you need to have a um, collaborative practice agreement or can you, do you have any prescriptive authority in, in that situation? That's actually all still, uh, right now it's been approved and then the state board has, uh, you know, had hearings on it, but it has to be approved through the legislative committee. So I think there's just one more little hurdle to go through once it goes back to them and then it will be, you know, a statewide protocol in effect. So then you would, you know, have prescriptive authority for those type of things. And then nice. another one, another one that was added was uh, oral contraceptives. So that should also go into effect this year. That one also has to be signed off on the, by the medical association in Arkansas. So once they see that protocol and approve it, then pharmacies that, uh, you know, go through all the steps to, to, to go through that training. In other words, there's a training program that you'll have to go through. So once you've done all of those steps and it gets approved by the legislature and the medical board, then that's another way that we'll be able to be a one-stop shop for that kind of thing. So not only to test for strep and flu and, and COVID and receive treatments there, but then we can also start with prescribing oral contraceptives as well. Nice. Is that just the, the CLIA waiver or do you have specific Arkansas regulation outside of that. Yeah, we'll have Arkansas specific. So once you receive your CLIA waiver and, and uh, you know, go through the, the proper training, then, then you know, there's a, a step that you have to go through, you know, here in Arkansas to be able to, to do that. So that's, that's all. We're getting really close. So just a few more hurdles to go through and then we can start doing those type of programs. Nice. Nice. What are you saying now with the, um, you know, with the positive COVID test right now? Or is, is there... Uh, like the oral treatments available where you're at? Have you have you looked into that? Have you started that? Are those actually reimbursing? What's that look like? Yeah, we have. And, and you know, it's kind of fallen off in the last few weeks. But when, when the height of the Omicron variant was was pretty prevalent around here, we had quite a few people come in for the, the treatments, the Paxlovid and the Molnupiravir. And uh, that's that's kind of where we're at with that is we see what a what a barrier there is there once you have to, you know, go and get a doctor to prescribe it and then come back to the pharmacy. So that's kind of we're using that as an example to say, well, you know, let's time is of the essence in a lot of those medications. You know, you want to start them as soon as possible after you test positive. So I think people are kind of seeing that and say, well, yeah, that we need to get this kind of moving along. So we're 
they can go to the pharmacy, get tested, then receive their treatment right away instead of having that extra burden of then going to another provider and then having to come back. So we hope that that's one thing that will push us forward as well. As for the reimbursements that you you mentioned, that was another area. You know, once we provided the COVID vaccines and got paid, you know, a a fair reimbursement to give those. And it was kind of insulting to see, you know, then a lot of the the plans and the payers say, well, we'll pay you a dollar to dispense this medication after you, you know, you perform all these extra steps to make sure, you know, the the patient can receive that and give them the counseling and, and go through all their drug interactions. So, we, we've seen a lot of the state play, payers that we've we've gone to have said, okay, we'll increase that to, you know, 10, 20, 30, you know, a little bit more of a payment for what actually services you're providing. So that's a, that's another way that people are kind of seeing, you know, starting to see the, the value that pharmacists can provide instead of, you know, through the years, this ratcheting down of, of payments and reimbursements. So you kind of see people see more of a value. So then you have them kind of fighting on your side as well to say, hey, you know, they they deserve to be paid a little bit more for these service, these important services that they're providing. Yeah. And I think that's like a a part of the story that the general public is just kind of in the dark about. Like I, you know, haven't seen that reported anywhere outside of, you know, pharmacy news networks where you know, the the pharmacy has really had to struggle to get that initial $40 reimbursement on the um the immunizations where they've actually had to go in, you know, complete data entry, but then go into a web portal and try to reconcile the difference in reimbursements. Um, and then when it came to the actual uh, oral treatments, those were, you know, not being reimbursed at all because they were outside the scope of the emergency relief. And, you know, it was kind of a mess that the general public probably sees that pharmacies have lots of business because of this pandemic, but um, you know it, it's really been a, a kind of a an administrative burden on on most pharmacies. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's where advocacy, you know, for your profession comes into play. So here in Arkansas, we've been pretty pretty strong with that. We've got a lot of the news media and the the local legislators to to pay attention to that thing, as well as your local community leaders. And you know, we've we've really done a good good job in Arkansas on educating the public and and the the major players in these areas to see, you know, this this is an important issue and we're not being properly reimbursed. So it, it's good to have someone extra on your side. So I think we've done pretty well in Arkansas about that. And it's good to see that kind of spreading throughout the nation as well now. Yeah, there's a there's a couple states that I think are really influential or or definitely the I don't know if it's just that those states are the squeaky wheel or if those states are really forward thinking and 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 have, um, you know, more more resources allocated for advocacy. But, you know, you think of North Carolina, you think of Arkansas, you know, why are these universal problems uh, only gaining traction, it seems, and in, in some of those states? Well, I think it all goes back to, you know, the, the way the, the leaders in, in those states have started from the very beginning. And also, you'll find a lot of the states that are really getting a lot of traction are those that still have a lot of the independent pharmacies around. So, you know, you see them really pushing in their communities because, you know, that's part of the tax base. That's part of, you know, the people supporting your local teams and, you know, events around your communities. And so once they, those independent pharmacies and pharmacy owners, have, you know, make themselves a part of the community, 
not only in their local communities, but in their counties and the state, you see that kind of grab hold a little easier because it's it's a little easier for for when when the, the decision makers are your own customers and patients. It's a little easier, you know, for you to kind of network and, and get your ideas out there and, and help them advocate on your behalf. So I think that's part of where your your uh, advocacy comes from in those states is just from having a lot of the independent pharmacies and then a strong pharmacy association that advocates on your behalf. And I know North Carolina, Arkansas, a lot of these states that that are like that is is where you see a lot of these groundswell of, of legislative activities happen. Yeah. I mean, how much of that is just luck of the draw if you just happen to have a legislator who understands the healthcare landscape and, and you know, wants to improve that versus, you know, somebody who's maybe not as receptive or hasn't really kind of it's it's really a, a lot to take in if you're not familiar with it it can really kind of be uh and is by design i guess very convoluted <laughs> it is and 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 i mean i won't lie to you it takes years of of doing that i know when i graduated from pharmacy school in 2002 you know shortly after that i started getting involved in our uh, state pharmacy association and then served on the board of directors for a number of years. So I saw firsthand it took from then when we first started, you know, trying to advocate on some some issues important to pharmacy, you know, whether it be provider status and and, uh, you know, paying for services as well as PBM reforms and, and uh, legislation to deal with, you know, the abusive practices of PBMs and insurance middlemen. You've seen that take a number of years for us to just keep belaboring that point home and then finally it takes hold and and I think you've seen that in the last few years because it it started to affect people you know especially you know I think of the example of uh, the work workforce shortages you know you see that happen a lot so patients are kind of burdened by that if they're forced into these plans to use certain preferred networks or certain pharmacies like chains but then they go there and suddenly those pharmacies are understaffed and it's going to take, you know, hours to days to get their prescriptions filled. And we even had some in our local community that just closed out of the blue. And so that kind of, I know that kind of, you know, brings it home then to, to those patients. And they're like, Hey, maybe we need to start doing something. And then the legislators start saying, well, yeah, there is an issue. What you've been telling us all these years about low reimbursements and, you know, not being able to sustain, you know, local pharmacies that, you know, that that affects people, especially you see after COVID when a lot of the pharmacies just couldn't properly service, you know, a lot of the chain pharmacies couldn't properly service their communities. And then they thankfully there were still a lot of independent pharmacies here, you know, that those patients could go to. And they're like, you know, we we really need these guys around. They're providing the innovative services that we need and they're a part of our community. So we need to start helping to make sure that they're you know, that they survive. Yeah, and and when you have the um, you know a, a three letter team that is is kind of making the rules that are um, advantageous for them and and really hurt um, you know the the competition, uh, they're kind of making up the rules of the game and then leaving the game. You know, uh, there's something like 900 uh, stores closed recently for one large chain. Um, you know, it, it really does kind of you know, lead, lead the question of, um, you know, if, if they're making the rules and, and can't make it, how can the independents compete and thrive? Uh, it really seems like a, an uphill battle. But Arkansas has definitely had um, some, some big wins in the news in the past couple of years. 
Yeah, and uh, I've kind of had a front row seat for a lot of that when we passed a lot of this legislation through my role on the board of directors. You know, we would advocate, you know, here in our state. And suddenly when we passed these laws and, you know, the PBMs kind of descended upon the state and and decided to push back against that. So another so thankfully, the years and years of education and and, uh, advocacy that we had here in Arkansas, we got the legislators to fight on our side and then through Attorney General. Leslie Rutledge, you know, she took that case for our uh, PBM reform and, and the legislation that we had there to pay the pharmacies fairly, took that all the way to the Supreme Court and won. So, yeah, that was kind of a tipping point, I think, for the rest of the nation. And we had, you know, a number of our legislators who were strong behind that original legislation were also members of national organizations of state legislators. So they kind of took our model here in Arkansas and said, you know, let's use this as a template and apply to these other states. So then you just started seeing states across the nation just kind of fall into line and say, okay, this this worked in Arkansas. It was upheld, so we're going to do the same thing here. And then you've seen, you know, other states, just like the other day I was reading about Georgia, you know, they, they keep pushing the envelope a little bit now and saying, okay, these, these things have worked in our state and other states. We're just going to keep trying to push for a little more and make sure that, you know, we can keep these pharmacies, these local pharmacies viable. Yeah. And so Rutledge was obviously a, you know, high profile, big win. Um, but I, I don't feel like that solves uh, everything by any means, because basically that um, kind of just prevents pharmacies from being reimbursed below cost for some plans, right? Uh, so it's it's definitely not, hey, all the problems have been solved. Um I mean, I, it's amazing that a win that just says, hey, let's not get reimbursed below cost, um, you know, that should be a no-brainer. Uh, it seems like that's something that you shouldn't even uh, need legislation to, to uh, you know, claim that little bit of ground. No, it's not. But, but part of what we did in Arkansas is, is we put the PBMs under the licensure of our uh, – insurance department. So the Arkansas Insurance Department has been tremendous in this effect. You know, they've set a, aside a whole team of, of people working there and, and a legal team and then uh, other members who, who handle those MAC appeals. But they've also decided, you know, there's there's a big issue here with these guys. You know, even they decided that they couldn't work with a lot of these big PBM players. So they've started issuing a lot of their own rules and, and, and uh, uh regulations along the way. And uh, I think I was just seeing the other day where now they're trying to simplify the process even further and hold them accountable. And so I think that's that's the next phase is you'll see a lot of these states kind of take this on themselves and say, OK, you know, now that we've won this and we've we've applied the the Mac appeals and, and you know, paying uh, at least at or above cost, then then let's start, you know, rooting out the preferred networks and let's get rid of these, uh, you know, behind the scenes, backdoor ways to take back money. So I think that's going to help with each state doing that. And then we can work on greater things to get the DIR reform, you know, through the U.S. Because that's actually in Arkansas now what uh, the SCOTUS decision did was applied our rules for the for PBMs to go not only for state-funded plans, but it opened them up to the ERISA type plans. So now we can apply those same laws to the commercial plans. And and then, you know, then you see pushback from PBMs and say, well, that doesn't apply to this because it was out of state 
or, you know, this plan was was developed before. And I think that's where the insurance department comes in to play is, is they're pushing back against that and saying, no, that's not how we interpret that. So I think you'll see that in other states as well. as They'll start pushing back against this. And then once each state falls into line, then you'll see their national leaders kind of start kind of waving that flag as well. And you've seen that a little bit through uh, through some congressional committees where they're trying to work on the DIR reform and and push back against this, as well as in the executive branch. You know, you see CMS developed those uh, rules to try to get, you know, DIR reform. And, and I know I hope everybody submitted comments to that. So so we can kind of get that done on a national level, because that, that's what it's really going to take to throw us over the, the finish line with this is to get more work to be done nationally so we can apply this to, to all plans. Yeah, the I've seen the, the CMS um, uh, calculation uh, quite a bit lately. I mean, because it's it's pretty striking, um, you know, but uh, CMS acknowledges pharmacy DIR fees have gone up 107,000% 107, <laughs> since 2010. Um, so, you know, that's obviously uh, problematic. <laughs> uh, I, I think even if you're not familiar with any kind of pharmacy billing practices and, and how that all works, um, that definitely seems to be a problematic number. Um, and I know on your, uh, you know, if you take a look at the uh, Brandon Cooper Twitter feed, you're going to see a lot of those um, uh, reposts coming from the hashtag DIR camp. So tell me a little bit about that. Like how can how can people kind of um, I don't know help help educate uh, their their peers and their 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 community about those unfair practices and what can they do to really fix that? Because it's bigger than one pharmacy. You know, nobody can really go fix that. No, and I think that's part of goes back to the education and advocacy side. Is I mean, you know, some of our biggest advocates here at SUS are our own patients because they see how they're impacted. So I think it's just talking about these things with them. You know, when they come in and they say, well, why is that so much? Or why am I told to go to this other pharmacy where it's cheaper? And I think if you'll just take a few minutes to explain that, then people realize that there's an issue. So then when you get them also on your side, along with your local legislators and your uh, state pharmacy associations, if you get them to start calling those national leaders, your senators and your representatives and educating them. So once they see, you know, more than just pharmacists out here saying we're not getting paid, but once they see patients harmed, then I think that's that's where it starts hitting home and they start saying, okay, there is an issue here when, you know, people can't afford their medicine and it's all because of these games that are being played behind the scenes or, or these people can't get their medicines because they're waiting to get it from a specialty pharmacy or from mail order. And, you know, it's taking weeks to months, you know, to get issues like that resolved and people are doing out their medicine. Then I think those national leaders start taking note of that and saying, okay, it's, there's, there's more here than just pharmacists not being paid for their, right. for, for filling prescriptions or for services there, you know, people are being harmed. Yeah, no, because, you know, uh, a pharmacy, a doctor, uh, you know, any any profession, uh, I feel like people have certain assumptions of. And if you hear a, a medical professional saying we're not being paid, the general person um, hearing that is like, oh, doctors make so much, they're fine. Uh, and it's really not. The margins have gotten pretty slim. Um you know, and and I feel like most people just don't understand 
the landscape that uh, pharmacists especially are playing in. You know, when you do see patients complain uh, about drug cost, a lot of the time they're complaining about, you know, they, they went in and got AWP as a cash price. Nobody pays that. You're not – of course you can't afford that because insurance companies don't pay that either. Uh, and then when you start getting into more of the, you know, intricate aspects of, of GI, uh, the GER gaps and, and you know, the – maximum allowable cost, all of a sudden, you know, it's it's just really too convoluted for uh, most people to just understand what's going on and why it needs to be fixed. So can you give me kind of uh, like, let's just take like a sample drug uh, reimbursement and just kind of like run through a couple of those numbers that affect the billing. If you're talking to somebody who's not familiar, like, Brandon, I heard you on this podcast. What are you talking about? <laughs> So maybe you know if uh, if there's somebody outside of the pharmacy uh, profession that wants to understand what your what all these numbers mean. Yeah, and and a lot of what I've seen is are people using examples from like say you go to a department store, you know, or you go somewhere else to buy another product and say, well, think about it as if you went there to pay for that, but instead of you know just paying cash, you put it on a credit card. So you see one price listed on the on the tag. So you use that to pay for it. Well, then months later, the credit card company will come back and tell, you know, wherever you bought, whatever department store you bought that from and say, well, yeah, we understand this was the price that, you know, that we put on there. But we're going to take back half of that and just keep for ourselves. So then you, you find that the, you know, the, the person buying the thing has paid too much because that really wasn't what was paid in the end. And then you have the department store, the person selling it not really knowing what they're going to be paid. You know, they think they're going to be paid one thing and then weeks to months later, then someone, you know, a middleman out here comes back and takes back part of that money. And so I think that's what what we described in, in Arkansas is we said the marketplace is broken. And I think that's just the simplest terms to put it in is, you know, the, the healthcare system in general is broken, but the payment system for pharmaceuticals is just a broken system. And you have all these, like you mentioned, the AWP, which nobody, you know, pays that anymore. Then you have the NADAC price, which is kind of a, a better term, but that just deals with, you know, how much the pharmacies are paying for that product. So then you have to add a, a dispensing fee to that. And then at the same time, then you have this MAC price that the payers will use to determine how much they're going to pay for something. And most of the time that can be below what you're acquisition cost was for something. So there's just all these terms and all these payment models that just something's got to be done to make that, you know, a little bit better. Because then then on the whole flip side is you have the, the pharmaceutical companies, especially the brand name manufacturers, then what they charge is not what they're receiving either because they're having to pay back rebates to the middleman as well. So you just see everything points back to the person in the middle that's controlling the money and they're squeezing this side of the equation, which, you know, are the, the providers being the pharmacists by paying so little. But then on the other side, they're they're creating these formularies to play the drug companies against each other and then taking back a percentage of that. So I think some good examples that I point to are, you know, in a lot of the congressional hearings as they looked you know, back when they were talking about how expensive insulin is. You look at the price of insulin and if you break it down, you know, from the production cost and how much you know, the wholesaler marks it up to then how much the, the pharmacy pays for it. And then you see the, 
the amount that the PBM takes out of it. And I mean, it's just, if you look at it in that situation in a pie chart, it's like there's so much money in that system that's just, what are we going towards? Are we getting better outcomes because of this? Or is it just how the middleman can make more money off of the equation? I think that's where we're at now in this country is that people are, are seeing, you know, we're not getting the value for what we're, we're paying out in our healthcare dollars. Yeah. I, I was reading an article the other day that um, Tim Mitchell posted on social media. I don't remember where the article was, but he, he mentioned that or the, the article referenced that um, – and I think it was an insulin example, but the the reimbursement for the pharmacy had dropped by sixty percent, and the copay had increased. So the patient responsibility had increased by sixty percent, and so it's just uh, really only one kind of uh, one party is benefiting from from all of these changes. Um, and it, it, I mean, at some point, it's just not sustainable. I would think. No, it's not. And I mean, another example is you look back to the EpiPen situation, you know, when people realized how much, you know, this simple product that can save someone's life through, you know, epinephrine injection, just how expensive that was. And then you look, I think they looked at it in a congressional committee as well and saw where, you know, it's just a small percentage of that is actually how much it, it costs to produce that. And then it was just staggering how much was taken away through the equation and then made the price of that, you know, several hundreds of dollars that, you know, markup on something that, you know, is so simple, you know, you think yeah. about that's been produced for years. And then suddenly, I mean, you see that with a lot of generic medications now, you know, you see these prices just skyrocket for no reason. And it's, it's, it's kind of mind blowing. You know, if, if you take the time to explain that to people, it is complicated, but then at the, at the end, if you just say, okay, here's what, these middlemen pay for something and here's how much they charge. And it's, you know, you, there's a lot of leeway there and you can see how easily it is for them to just increase their, their profit margin. Yeah. And so, you know, for the general consumer, when you, when you look at it, why, why are my drug costs going up? Why can't I afford this copay? Is it, you know, these, these pharmacists and their sports cars? Is it, um, uh, these greedy drug manufacturers? Is it the uh, uh, middleman of just a broken system? Uh, you know, where where's the real problem? Because I think most people uh, are kind of, you know, given a narrative uh, that it's just a, uh, you know, uh, greedy drug companies, because it's not like that in other, you know, they charge less in other countries. Yeah, and I think you've, you've, you've seen that. It's, it's kind of almost a pay to play model from their side. I mean, you can kind of understand where the drug companies are coming from in a lot of this because they're being squeezed as well, you know, to try to negotiate to get their products on formularies and, you know, they're having to pay out so much to these people. So, yeah, that's kind of adds a lot in this country to you see to the bottom line how much it costs people. And when you realize there's all these games being played behind the scenes, and that's where I think you know, through DIR reform, I think people are taking notice of that. When you mentioned that staggering number of how much it's gone up, I mean, those are just, you know, it's kind of take it or leave it contracts that they give the pharmacies. And they're like, you know, here's here's another way we can take back all of this, all this money from the equation. Yeah. So, you know, after Rutledge there in, in Oklahoma or in uh, Arkansas, sorry, um, how, how has that changed the, um, you know, the, the, the reports that you run uh, in the system currently, like, are, are you seeing a real difference where, 
that's already kind of filtered down to, you know, realistic improvements? Yeah, we are. And then part of the through Rutledge is, you know, when we we put it in our legislation, you know, is to get rid of these, this, the same kind of thing as the DIR fee that they're using in commercial plans, you know, where the GER and all of these other terms that they would take back money. So it got rid of that. So if, if there's any determination in a state funded or, or a commercial plan covered through ERISA, uh, a group plan, if they're using those terminologies and not paying, you know, actually what the cost is, if they're coming back on the back end, or if they're if they're used, utilizing spread pricing, all of that, you know, has been has been outlawed, and that's you know considering and considered an unfair trade practice. So that's you know punishable through the Arkansas Insurance Department. So that's been one area where we've seen is they've started levying fines on these uh, PBMs, you know, where they they find these activities going on. So that number one increased the reimbursement. But then there's also the Mac appeal side of things. So now we find. When we appeal a lot of these prices, which, like you mentioned, you're getting back to the cost of the medicine, but it's still better than what you were getting. And so we've seen now that they know that, you know, if they deny that appeal, we're just going to turn it over to the insurance department. And a lot of them have started upholding those appeals on the front end. So, you know, if you take the time to to go through the process, which a lot of pharmacies in Arkansas have, have tried to streamline that process and work it into their workflow. And I know Pioneer has been a a great help because we can, you know, create reports so that we can just click buttons, you know, and send it straight to the to the insurance department and, and say, okay, they, these guys aren't paying what they're supposed to, and then you'll find that they'll increase it. But overall, I think a lot of the PBMs have gotten wise, and they're like, okay, we're not going to get anywhere in this state by, you know, just simply denying these below-cost payments. So a lot of them, you know, once we appeal, they'll, you know, increase that payment, and then the insurance department also, like I mentioned earlier, has, has kind of taken upon themselves to create a new set of rules for them to follow. So if they see that they aren't, you know, if they're upholding a, a MAC price one month, but then they turn around and lower it again the next month, then they're fining them because they didn't follow the law. Instead of increasing that payment and making it effective from this point forward, they're, you know, they're starting to fine them for, for that kind of practice as well. So tell me about that process practically, because I've personally been in so many pharmacies where they see a negative reimbursement and they don't want to lose that patient, right? That's Jim. We got to fill it, right? Like, um, so what can they do? Uh, like, like kind of run through your process for a Mac appeal and, and what's your success rate? Well, what I've uh, started doing in the, in the early phases of it is, uh, you know, we would run through and see that below cost payment and we realized that it was a plan that was covered, which is now more plans. You know, the only ones we really can't touch are the, you know, the, the federally funded payers. So it would be Medicare and uh, TRICARE, you know, things like that, federal employees. But if it's not one of those plans, then, you know, I'll print the screen out, put it to the side for a little later. And then most of the PBMs have their own process. You know, a few of them just have an online portal where you just enter a few of the numbers and then submit it electronically to them. So you would submit that under cost payment to whichever payer it is. And then, you know, within a few days to a week, then, and, and that's another thing that we worked on in the state was setting those time limits, you know, so they can't just drag their feet, but they're, mm -hmm. you know, have to, to do all this within 30 days. And so if they deny the appeal, then what I'll do is, is there's a report in Pioneer that we've developed some of the other members here in the state 
uh, Pioneer users have developed a report that we can just simply print out. It fills in all the information. And then if they deny that appeal, we just send it to the insurance department and they they handle it from there. So they'll get in contact and tell them to pay. And then so a few days to a week later, you know, all within a month, then usually the PBMs will respond by email or or uh, send us a message and say, okay, go ahead and reverse and resubmit this claim. And then we'll be, you know, made whole on that claim. So that's kind of simplifies the process. So that's that's where we'd like to see this taken, you know more to be able to do this for the the federal plans would be nice but you know through that you're going to have to get rid of uh you know the dr fees and some of those below cost payments there but uh our insurance department has been really good at kind of holding them accountable to to following this law and i know part of what they're working on now is is they've issued a a notice or a bulletin to the pbm saying you know, you've got to provide a, a better way for them to submit these appeals. Instead of just submitting one at a time, you need to develop a process so they can submit bulk appeals. And then mm. on the flip side of that, also our law applies to NADAC claims. So if they're paying below NADAC on uh, a lot of these issues, you can decide whether you want to submit it as a MAC appeal or as a NADAC appeal. So some of the uh, pharmacies around the state have simply, you know, developed a spreadsheet that they just send to the insurance department. So they'll just run a report from Pioneer, you know, that that compares everything to NADAC. And if it's paid below, they submit it. And then in a few weeks, the insurance department will work on it. And, you know, they'll receive the added payment back from the PBM. So there's there's more than one way to, to do this, but, but it's nice. You'd like to be receiving more than just simply your cost, but at least you're in yeah. a better place, better place than you were, you know, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. And and so, you know, what's interesting is that you're fighting for, for low ground. You're fighting to, to recover cost when at that point you've already, um, you know, spent your staff time, uh, you know, the, the materials to dispense, your labels, your vials, um, you know, any uh, transmission fees that are uh, included with that. And then now that extra administrative burden to go back and then you know, uh, resubmit and, and reprocess all of those. Are you able to recover, you know, a dispensing fee or, you know, any of that in the process? Yeah, that's kind of what we worked on a lot of our uh, Medicaid plans. You know, mm-hmm. they've gone to this NADAC plus a dispensing fee model. So I think that's going to be the next area that we look at is, is you know, can we apply that to more plans? Can we legislatively now through our wins, you know, on a national level through the Supreme Court, can we push some of the state legislatures to set a floor and say, okay, here's a minimum dispensing fee. So then you not only have your MAC appeals, but we're gonna say, okay, you've gotta pay the cost plus a fair dispensing fee. So I think that's where you'll see a lot of the states start moving from this point forward and is uh, kind of push for that to recover, not only your cost, but the time and effort it takes. So. I think that's that's where you'll see the cost plus dispensing fee model kind of take more effect. Yeah, and I can only imagine where you know you have so many states right now where you have really amazing pharmacies that are really helping their community in so many different ways with so many different enhanced services to try to cover those losses on on the actual products that they dispense. Um, you know what a what a great change, what a great uh, landscape that could be. You know, if you're at least not fighting uh, those those really, you know, pointless should be should be a given battle, uh, just to recover cost on those drugs. So, if you are a pharmacy who is not currently 
um, you know, helping to kind of uh, hashtag and DIR or just to help advocate for their local, uh, for their state. You know, what what advice do you have? Do you do you think pharmacies should, you know, reach out to those um, state associations? Should they be in CPESN? Should they should they call NCPA? What what's your call to action for somebody who's currently inactive? I think all of the above, everything you just mentioned. I mean, you've got to not only advocate yourself through your profession, but you've got to involve other people in your community and, and let your, you know, your patients start fighting on your behalf. And another way to fight back is to start providing these other services and just get the PBMs out of the way. And I think that's what we've done through CPSN. I was kind of in the group that initially started the, the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network here in Arkansas. And, uh, now you see, I think it's in practically all 50 states. And so that's where you can start, you know, going straight to the payers and say, hey, here's something else that we can provide to save you money. You know, not only is this, you know, treating patients better and providing a better level of care, but by paying us, you know, adequately for these services, we can save you on other spending sides. So I think that's where CPSN, you know, can come into play in your, in your state. And if you're not a member of that, then reach out and and find out through your state pharmacy association and and through your state if there is a CPSN and, and you want to get more involved in that because you know you see that's where a lot of the the, the advocacy and everything came from through uh, the COVID vaccines and also the COVID antivirals as you saw CPSN step up to the plate and say hey we have this network of pharmacies all throughout the country and we can start providing these services today and then we have a, a mechanism available to pay for it and communicate with them. And so I think that's just a vital network of of community pharmacies who want to differentiate themselves from, you know, your your regular dispensing pharmacy and say, we provide these services. We're part of a collective group that can help, you know, save money in the long run and provide better care for for you and your family. And so I think that's kind of where everything is geared towards now. And, and like I said, you just got to become more active uh, through your your local, not only your local legislators, but also your local, you know, your leaders, all the way to you know, become active on in your school board. You know, start advocating in in the local level to try to show people what you can do in your community, and then that kind of works up to your state and your national leaders. So, if you just just take the time. I mean, I know pharmacists are busy and especially now with the workload and everything and not being paid adequately, but you've got to take that time to to become more active in your community and in your pharmacy association to try to to try to help better this profession. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Capitalize on all that goodwill from all that hard work during the the pandemic and you know, sure take a weekend, go take a vacation, but uh, you know, keep on that um you know that that press that that has really brought independent pharmacy to the forefront uh, over the past couple of years. So thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this was a fun talk. I hope somebody out there picks something up. Uh, if you want to learn more about hashtag NDIR, you can search for that. Uh, you're going to find so much great information uh, from so many different sources that have that uh, hashtag. I've been seeing uh, so. Always just a great way to find some great articles. Uh, but Brandon Cooper also has a, a pretty active Twitter. Do you want to throw out your Twitter handle if you're if you're into pharmacy uh, issues or Memphis basketball? Great person to follow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Razorback, Arkansas Razorbacks or Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you updated on that as well. But 
think the hash I think it's at CoopRx is my Twitter handle. Good deal. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I'll see you here soon, hopefully. Uh, maybe I'll run into you in person this summer uh, out there on the trade show circuit. So look forward to seeing you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform. 